Hello and welcome to the Living Life Differently podcast. We are the Mahojos. I'm Amy. And I'm Ali and we live in a static caravan on a farm in South Wales with our son Ollie and our dog Dizzy. We're currently on a year off together, waiting patiently to get going on a European campervan adventure. In the meantime, we decided to set up this podcast to share stories of women who are living life differently, women who are doing things different to the norm. So if you're feeling a little stuck in life or need confidence to make some big changes, then keep listening as we have some brilliant guests. In this episode, we speak with Zoe Langley-Wathen, who left her career in teaching to follow her passions. As well as a big career change, she moved onto a narrow boat full-time. Enjoy her inspirational story. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Living Life Differently podcast and I'm delighted to welcome today a lady called Zoe Langley-Wathen. Hi Zoe. Hey Ali, how are you? I'm very well thanks, how are you? I'm really well thank you. Good, so I think we've come across each other before or kind of followed each other's adventures because I've listened to you on the Tough Girl podcast. Um, You did a couple of episodes now a few years ago so I think that's how we've kind of come across each other Um, and you describe yourself as a writer, speaker and adventure seeker. Could you tell us a bit more about yourself in terms of you know what that means you know what age you are and where you're living at the moment? Yes yeah no problem so I I guess I have morphed into those roles um, because a few years ago not so long ago I was teaching um, almost full-time I've been in my teaching role for 13 years and I I just took a complete pivot and thought I've got to I've got to change some things here I'd lost my dad in 2018 and just felt that there was more to life I think a lot of people get this and so I'd been I had a life-changing experience with a long distance walk I did 10 years ago on the southwest coast path that gradually built up and up with further long distance walks that I'd been doing Um, so the Wales coast path in 2012 Offers Dyke in 2013 and and so they carried on and each with each walk that I did I started to realize that it actually wasn't necessarily about what walk am I going to do next it like like train spotting which which walk am I going to tick off to say that I've done them all it was actually the act of walking and the need for a focus and the challenge that that I was thriving on and I thought well if I'm if I'm experiencing this then other women need to experience experience this as well because I'm I'm not a person who lacks in confidence necessarily but I think I am a person who has suffered with a lack of belief in myself and that's what these walks gave me was this uh, momentum and this injection of of self-belief that I can I can do this so I left my teaching role in 2019 with nothing to go to. So that was a huge leap of faith. I, I was absolutely terrified, still had a mortgage to pay for. Um, but I did it knowing that I was hopefully going to rely on supply teaching sort of two or three days a week to, to um, back up that bank balance. And um, nothing came for sort of five or six weeks um, work-wise and then it did start to flow it started to come in 
Um, but I'd left with the view to us moving from our house into a narrowboat 100 miles away in South Wales. So I was living in Poole in Dorset at the time and we've moved to South Wales, uh, rented out the house. And yeah, that, that was yet another big leap. But it did give us the opportunity to... I guess, take control of our lives a bit more, take control of our finances and just see things from a different perspective. So that's where I am now. So midlife adventurer, uh, I guess I am looking for um, not, you know, massive great big expeditions necessarily, although that would be wonderful. But clearly during these times, it's not possible. But it's I'm just looking for things that will challenge me as a person, things that will challenge my perspective of what I think I'm capable of. Um, and so they can be small everyday challenges, not necessarily big expeditions. And I'm writing because of lockdown now, I've really knuckled down and I've started writing. I, I had a chapter published in a book last year um, and I have been blogging not so regularly since I've been writing my book but I've, there are some blogs on my website as well about what I've been up to so yes that's that's me in a very big nutshell I'm sorry that was a little bit longer <laughs> than I planned it to be but hopefully it describes kind of where I'm at now yeah no that's fantastic and there's a couple of big things in there which I obviously want to come back to because they link in really nicely with the theme of living life differently mm. um so just for the the people listening you're um we're recording this right now and you're you're actually on the narrowboat is that correct I am yes and which canal are you on we're, we're on the Monumbrek Canal, Ali. So it's a 35-mile landlocked canal. It's not connected to any of other of the main system canals. Um, it starts at Pontypool in South Wales and ends in Brecon. Brilliant. We know that canal quite well because we did um, a couple of family relays along there fairly fairly recently. We had this crazy idea that as a family with the dog, the baby and the camper van and our bikes, we could kind of do do sections of it, you know, one at a time and make our way up the 35 miles. I, I won't tell you what happened. I'll send you the links to the YouTube videos. <laughs> I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. You probably will have passed us then, no doubt. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did, um, probably twice. So, yeah, but I'll send you those links because it didn't quite go to plan the first time, like some adventures they just don't happen the way you think um, and if they yeah. and if they don't that's okay because they make the best stories <laughs> oh, oh yeah 100 percent. but yeah no doubt we've probably uh, traveled past you and what a fantastic canal to live on it's absolutely beautiful yes yes i, I would definitely agree with that it's fantastic so past life um was as a teacher and was that down in in dorset it was yes yeah and so how long had you been a teacher was that something you did from when you left uni or how did you get into that no I went to uni as a mature student um, that was quite a big thing for me I guess I started my retraining or my my re-education if you like um, in the late 90s and I, I started at school as an art technician but my degree was fine art so I started as an art technician in a school, but knew that I really, really enjoyed sharing and teaching and, and helping the students. And it, it, was, it just really lent itself well uh, to 
to becoming a teacher. And so I was offered the uh, option of training on the job. So it was a graduate teacher program. I was paid uh, to do my teacher training whilst I was working, which as a, a mum as well suited me perfectly because I couldn't really afford to go off to um, do my teacher training in in the regular way. And yeah, so I, I did that around about 2004, 2005, um, 2005. So I, my role as art technician was absolutely wonderful, gave me a good insight into what the students wanted, gave me great insight into uh, organising trips. And uh, we did a couple of residential trips to New York and Barcelona, um, which I got to organise. So that was great experience for me as well. And yeah, so then I went into my teach training in 2005, 2006, and then my 13 years from there through to when I, I left the school that I was at for, for 13 years. Um, that was around about 2019. OK, and you mentioned, um, you know, getting to the point where you realise that there, there might be a bit more to life and, you know, I assume that kind of fed into your decision about leaving teaching. Was that a gradual process or was it a light bulb moment one day? What was kind of going on for you at the time? Yeah, no, I, I think it was a gradual process, if I'm honest. Uh, it, you know, teaching is very full on anyway. And, you know, I never do things by halves. So if I'm going to do something, I, I want it to be done properly. Uh, that's not always a good thing. It's it's a sign of perfectionism. And I taught students that, that were like that as well. But, you know, I just I can't help the way I am. I, I, I did always throw myself into these things. And what it meant was that I was starting to suffer burnout. I absolutely love the act of teaching, the act of helping an individual to develop, to grow, to learn and to achieve and enjoy the journey of achieving. And I just thought there must be other ways of doing this. And, and as time went on, because I'd been doing these challenge walks, I would get up and talk about them in assemblies at school and I would get feedback from that and I and I really found I got a buzz from getting that feedback and then from learning years later when I'd bump into students that I taught a long time ago that said oh I remember that assembly you gave on xyz you know it might have been the time I walked the southwest coast path and then she'd say and do you know I've gone off and done a section of it myself or I've gone off and backpacked for a year around India um, as a result of you giving that talk you know that really filled me with such passion um, and uh, encouragement I guess that just me little me could make a difference even if it was only a seed of a difference and and I think as teachers we are we are actors <laughs> you know because it's like standing on stage you know in front of the class um and we are like salespeople because we have to be persuasive we have to to kind of get our point across in the most persuasive way we possibly can for the students to engage with it and to really believe it and and I think that all of these things started to feed into what I was now delivering about go on, go and try something new, take risks, uh, don't be f afraid of failing, um, have a go. 
and and that was where I could see myself leaning towards more than doing the data analysis and the reports home to parents uh-huh. and, and all of the other th- stuff that comes along as part and parcel of being a teacher. What a great opportunity to have almost that platform within the school to be able to share your experiences of, of your incredible long distance walks and share those messages of getting out of your comfort zone, doing something that maybe scares you or challenges you. Do you think that the more you talked about that to your students, the more you were almost telling yourself, almost giving yourself permission to kind of try and do something new and different with your own life? Yes, I I think, and I think that is coming back to your previous question as well where that drip feeding um, over time came into this is what I can do Um, it's yeah it the more you tell somebody something the more it becomes believable and the more you start realizing it and it's not just telling the students but it's in telling the students they tell their parents and then the parents sit with you at parents evening and for 50% of the time they're talking about the student and certain parents then for 50% of the time wanted to hear about the next challenge walk. (laughs) (laughs) um, There was a lot of that that happened. And yeah, I, I think it did become something that I gradually had to talk myself into and there's been a lot of that I guess throughout my life where although I can be impulsive some things I have to work my way into slowly because I think around the subject a lot I research it a lot and I um I guess I want to find I find out if it fits if that makes sense yeah <laughs> that, does, that does make sense um what when you were teaching and and you kind of were starting to move towards a way of thinking that this might not be for you for the rest of your life, for example. What what was life like outside of teaching? I mean, we've got a really good friend who was in secondary school teaching for some time, and, and we know the hours and hours and hours she used to put in, getting in early, coming home late, working on weekends. Mm. Did you have much life outside of work at the time, or was that a struggle? It was a struggle. Um, uh, so for the last two to three years, probably three years, I had gone part time to help with the care for my mum and dad. And mum and dad lived two and a quarter hour drive away from Paul in North Somerset. So I was traveling there every week and coming back again the same day if I was having to work the following day. That was that was exhausting in itself and then the whole emotional and psychological drain on me was exhausting and then having to obviously build in the time to plan to mark to prepare um yeah I I was working constantly so I would be up about six in the morning sometimes I wouldn't go to bed until half twelve one o'clock in the morning um because I was working late that, yeah, there came a time where I I knew I had to find a way of doing a challenge, um, even though I couldn't get away. Now, this wasn't because of work commitments. This was because of the family commitments I had with mum and dad. I, I knew I couldn't get away for like a six or eight week walk. I had to be around. So I devised a walk called 100 Mappy Days, where I I just set about walking a different walk using a map or a map app a hundred times 
and it didn't matter if it was a mile long or 20 miles long it depended how much time I had but you know that actually saved my sanity completely and utterly because even when I was working really hard I I knew I had another walk to potentially go and do that week Um, and if I only had time to go and do two and a half miles I'd go and do it but I had a real focus and then I'd come back and I'd photo you know upload all my photographs um, and write about it in my spreadsheet and mark down how far I'd gone and yeah so that having that focus was important to me um, and I have to say podcasts as well saved my sanity throughout throughout that time too I mean I really I think I came close to really suffering with my mental health at that point because there were so many demands on me from lots of different angles and I just didn't know how I was going to cope you know I still had to be a good teacher I had to be a good daughter had to be a good wife you know those are all these demands and yeah so I would drive home from my parents lose myself in a podcast I'd get home go to work and then get to go off on a another mappy day somewhere somewhere wonderful Mm. It, it, it sounds like the 100 mappy days kind of managed to give you that bit of I wouldn't say headspace but that other distraction away from the stresses and strains of everyday life yeah it, it was a distraction but it absolutely was headspace you really have got that that is the word it's 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 that outdoor medicine I refer to quite a lot that sometimes if you just need to go and walk around the block sometimes that's that's all you need just to clear your head, um, solve a few problems, potentially think think something through, but you just need to walk away from the situation that you're in currently, just to get that that clarity in your brain. It's, it's a brain fog, you know. It just it just get that clarity. Go outside. It be in nature, and if it's not if you're not surrounded by nature, if you're in a city or if you're in a town, actually just getting the fresh air um, is it still works and was was the that challenge and that headspace was that feeding in then was that around the same time as you were working towards the decision of leaving teaching yes I guess it was the latter part of that it was so the I had planned to do 100 mappy days in one year so that that would work out roughly to be two walks a week which in the normal way I could have probably quite easily achieved but with dad being quite poorly, um, it it just wasn't it wasn't going to work. So I think yeah, on the on the fiftieth day, that was the end of the first year, and I I remember walking that in memory of dad because we lost him about three weeks prior to Christmas. Um, and then the following year, I said, OK, right, well, I make, I've made this challenge up. I make the rules. So I'm just going <laughs> to bend them slightly. And I'm, I'm not normally one to do that. If I make rules on a challenge, I, I, I'm a bit of a stickler and a purist in that I've got to keep to them. But no, on this occasion, I had to be flexible. So it spilled over into the second year. And I did another 50 in the second year. And it was through that 50 where things really started to propagate and I could see that see that growing into something bigger I think there was an a definite moment 
in January, I knew I really want to leave. I've got to do this. If I don't do this now, I'm going to go bonkers. (laughs) And then in March or April of that year, I think it was March, I went on a school trip um, skiing in the Alps I'd never been skiing before that was another head right out moment you know I'm afraid of heights and I've never skied in my life and so I learned how to ski and I was absolutely loving it terrified there were some real jelly leg moments (laughs) Um, but I was really enjoying it and then on day four or five I think it was day five of eight days skiing uh one of the students clipped the back of my skis we were stationary I mean we weren't even moving we were stationary and she was just moving into position and she just clipped the back of my skis and I went down and I tore uh my ACL and my MCL in my knee um and partially dislocated my kneecap and I I was um I'm not airlifted. I I can't think what the word is. But anyway, I had ski rescue, mountain rescue um, down to the nearest clinic. And yeah, I was then on crutches for two months, not able to go back to work. I'd already handed my notice in at this point and I wasn't able to go back to work for my the last half of that last term. No, the first half of that last term, I beg your pardon. Um, But, do you know, that was... I thought that was going to be a time where it was going to drive me crazy because I was stuck indoors and not able to do all the things that I'd normally do. But that gave me real solid thinking time where I wasn't having to deal with school stuff. But I was able to really start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do with my life once I've left? And how how are we going to make it work? How are we going to oil these wheels <laughs> to actually to actually get them moving smoothly? Um, and although I still didn't actually know what I was going to properly by the time I left in July, I had signed up with the supply agency, and I just had to keep my fingers crossed that work would start coming in in September. So, yes. Crikey. What a terrible injury. Like we, we both empathise with you, Zoe, because we've both had cruciate injuries and oh. you know, I, w- I wouldn't wish them on anybody. So as you were describing that, my stomach was clenching. Oh, but oh <laughs> totally, totally appreciate what a terrible injury is. But I never thought there could be a, a kind of a silver lining to such a bad injury. But it sounds like if it can come at a good time, it kind of did in a way to give you mm-hmm. again that headspace and that thinking time away from all the stresses of, of work, etc. Yeah. To figure it, out what, what actually am I gonna do now? Yeah, it, it was. It was it was very therapeutic. And and because we had figured that we were going to leave the house and we were going to rent the house out and come and move up onto the narrow boat up here in Wales. I knew we both knew that we were going to have to do a major clear out as well and I mean I don't know about you but (laughs) we are both a collector of things Um, we were both guilty of that and I had so much stuff I had to go through and so that became my new focus you know and there are videos of me going through you know my clothes drawers with things in that I hadn't worn for sort of five or six years and 
and then me in tears because I have to get rid of all of these dresses or skirts that I hadn't worn in 15 years but they were bringing back memories it's amazing how clothes bring back memories from when you wore them at a particular time and and that was what I was trying to shift I was trying to move away from that uh, attaching sentiment to objects so that I could release myself from having to hang on to all this stuff um, so yes it was a cleansing time and I, I got rid of so much stuff um, in that six or eight weeks I was off Sounds like a, a good time and you achieved a lot in that space of time. Just mm. in terms of, um, obviously, you've made this massive life-changing decision to leave teaching. Um, and then yourself and your husband decide somehow to then go and live on your narrowboat in South Wales. How did you reach that decision? Because that is also quite, quite unique. Yes, it's well, the, the boat has been here for a long time and Mike had it um, long before we got together as a couple. Um, it's always been his man cave, his bolt <laughs> hole. <laughs> and so, yeah, when we did come up here, it was I it had to have a little bit of um, a Zoe touch to it to try and <laughs> <laughs> try and de-man cave it. Um, but, yeah, the, the decision came because... I realised, and I think Mike realised too, that it wasn't sustainable for me to keep travelling from Poole to North Somerset every week. Even though it's only 75 miles, this was to go and see my mum, to be with my mum. Um, so although it's only 75 miles, it's it's not on big roads. There's no dual carriageways. It's all like A and B roads. And it's a long journey, two and a quarter hours each way. And so just the driving is tiring. And we worked out that from the boat to mum's house is an hour door to door. So that in itself is a no brainer. I've always wanted to write as well. And Mike is very encouraging of me um, with regards to that and wanted me to get started on that. And, it, and he was basically saying, if we move to the boat, if you think you can cope with living in a smaller space, we move from a three-bedroom house, <laughs> garage, oh, <wow>. garden, um, <laughs> into a 40-foot narrowboat that's only 6 foot 10 wide. <laughs> um, if you think you can manage that, then as long as you're doing a couple of days a week supply teaching, then we will be able to sustain financially ourselves so that you can write so that that was the plan it was to to be able to get stuck into my writing and my artwork which actually I haven't really done much of I haven't had time to um I just need to focus myself in the writing at the moment um but yeah so to, to focus on the writing and focus on being able to get to mum much quicker being able to get to her in a much better frame of mind I'm not tired I'm able to support her better because I'm not cranky because I've you know been driving for two and a quarter hours <laughs> so yeah it, it that was where our decision came from and it I didn't know if I would be able to do it but I do know that I'm a flexible person I do know that I can bend and sway with whatever life throws at me I do know I can do that but I'd lived in Dorset for 30 years so it was a it was a tough decision but once we'd made that decision 
it was like okay come on this is another adventure let's bring it on <laughs> we, we can we can do this um, and then the adventure just just changed into something else completely I mean this is this is hilarious so we we went on holiday it was our first overseas holiday in five years oh four years four years uh, we went to New York last January and as we came back, um, the pandemic was only just really kind of whispering at the, the shores of the UK. It wasn't really, hadn't really properly reached. Um, we had booked a van in February to move a lot of our big items of furniture and electrical things out of the house because we were planning to move in March. Um, so we got rid of... Uh, things to my daughter's house in Bristol some things went to my mother's house in North Somerset um, we put some things into storage in Western Supermare that we definitely wanted to keep and the other things got sold I mean our bed our bed was sold in January so we had no bed anyway at that point but we moved everything out so there was no fridge no freezer no washing machine no bed no tv it was almost an empty house i think we had two chairs and a fold-up table um, and a sofa we did have a sofa because we knew that was being collected just before we were due to move and we were due to leave uh, to come up to the boat on the 28th of march and what happened on the 23rd of march <laughs> oh my goodness lockdown and it's like okay Right, this is interesting. So we can't leave the house. Uh, we are stuck in an empty house um, with not really enough to keep us going, but we can probably try. We did have our camping gear. Our, camp <laughs> our camping gear was still there, hilariously. So, yeah, in fact, uh, within the first week of lockdown, we did actually put the tent up um, in the front garden <laughs> and, um, and camped in that. But, no, essentially... Ali, we glamped in our house for four months, <laughs> and oh, we were goodness. we were loaned we were loaned a bed a guest bed from a neighbour, um, and after a few weeks of sleeping on that, I was crying in agony because I just it, the mattress was so terrible. Um, so we 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 gave that back. In fact, we gave the mattress back, but we kept the bed base, and then we bought a new mattress for the boat. So the boat mattress is only four feet wide so we shoved this on top of the divan the four foot six divan base and that that was good that worked um, oh my goodness and then but other than that it just you know mike just did all the bits of decorating and the, the sort of the things that he would have done to the house later on in, in between tenants he just he did in that four months um so our new tenant got a house that was absolutely tip top and yeah, it was it was looking oh, good. So yeah, we gosh. left on July the fourteenth or thirteenth, I think it was, to come up here. And yeah, it was it was good to be up here after all wow. that time. What mm. a story! Lockdown, <laughs> yes. lockdown one, and now look where we are. Lockdown three, or is it four? Yes. I don't know. I've lost track. <laughs> I've, I've lost track. Yeah, because we had that fire break lockdown in Wales, didn't we? And then right. and now we're into three. Yeah, so I think it is three. <laughs> it hasn't got any better <laughs> no you've certainly been thrown a curveball there in terms of having to adapt your plans and you know start your canal boat adventure a little later than you expected um you mentioned tenants so are you renting your house out at the moment 
Yes, we are. So yes, at least at least the mortgage is taken care of. So regardless of whether I can work or not, which I haven't done a lot of since September because of you know the virus um as a supply teacher there hasn't been a, a huge call for me here as yet so i'm hoping that's going to change but yeah the tenant is is in she loves the house and and so that is just ticking along nicely in the background and looking after itself superb so mm. when you do actually get the chance to get to the canal boat officially in in july and and get your stuff in and, and settle in was it what you expected in terms of canal boat living? Were there any major challenges or was it quite eye opening? I think I was just in absolute awe of it to begin with, although I mean, I always knew it was going to be challenging to begin with because it was trying to find places to put things and and spiders. Gosh, the, the spiders that had taken up residence in here some of them were like I don't know what they they've been taking some kind of protein powder I think because they were <laughs> they were flexing their muscles big time at me um and there were a few choice words I I'd been learning the ukulele since last Christmas and um I remember I've kind of gotten this little little nook where I squeeze my ukulele on a shelf up in the roof of the the boat and I pulled the uke down and this spider dropped down on, onto the table and I yes I let out a little <laughs> squeal um yeah spiders that's one of the things in my kind of things that I'm frightened of that I haven't yet managed to sort out in terms of being able to hold a spider um so I've, I've got to deal with that at some point I did hold a, a, a tarantula you know a, I don't longly or somewhere like that a few years ago but that felt different but the, the ones that move quickly, you know, across the floor in front of you or in the, on the ceiling. Yeah, I have an yeah. issue with that. So, yeah, spiders were an issue. Um, and actually, since then, I would say our biggest issue on the boat is condensation. Uh-huh. That is our big, big bugbear. And we've we battled with it over the winter to the point where we actually had to move off the boat for three nights whilst Mike insulated the bottom end, the, the bed end of the boat, um, because we we had pulled the mattress out one day and the mattress was, it was almost like it was sat in a pool of water. I mean, it was terrible. So we pulled the mattress out to dry it out, had um, fans on we lit the fire to kind of get some warmth through, but we also had all the windows open. Um, and yeah mike put some insulation up down there put tongue and groove paneling up to kind of make it look nice and and we moved back in and that did make a difference but things were still getting wet and then just about six or eight weeks ago i just had this realization that perhaps a dehumidifier might help i don't know why i didn't think of it before um you know we do have mains hook up here um we're quite lucky and so yeah we bought a dehumidifier and you know that's been an absolute game changer and we've got become well we've become quite obsessed with how much water it's collected <laughs> in the bowl <laughs> each day or each night <laughs> you know some some days especially if we bring wet washing into the boat uh, to dry you know it can collect up to three pints of water um within an evening which is quite shocking when you think how how much moisture that that is normally putting out into our atmosphere yeah that's so, yeah. crazy yeah so 
Oh, when you when you started to live on the boat, you obviously in the middle of summer. I can't remember what summer was like um, last year. It's all a yeah. bit of a blur, 2020. It is, yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. So then heading into the winter months, how uh, you've talked a bit about the condensation and issues with that. So in terms of the practicalities of canal boat living, how do you keep warm? Um, how, you know, how do you, yeah, how, how do you keep warm and cosy? Yeah, so we do keep warm and cosy on here. We've got uh, a lovely little wood burner, um, which heats up the immediate space around it. We do also have central heating. So there's um, a, a just it looks just like a regular house uh, radiator. In fact, we've got one, two, three radiators here. And that's connected to uh, a system that is powered by the diesel um, down in the the tank at the other end of the boat and what else we also have an electric blanket oh, oh my gosh wow oh that is just heaven just climb <laughs> even now where it's not so cold now but you know it's like about nine o'clock you know one of us will say to the other have you turned the have you turned the bed on <laughs> <laughs> oh that that sounds like it could be something completely different <laughs> <laughs> no porn here so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes yes so yeah so one of us will go down and turn the blanket on and it's it's dual control so I could have mine on the highest setting if I want to and Mike can have his on one or two you know not so warm and oh it's just absolutely divine just climbing in and feeling this warmth radiating up through your body it's wonderful so I tend to sleep with mine on one all night and I learned some years ago when I was in fact it was on my first long distance walk I was talking to the supplier of a sleeping bag that I was buying and he said that women tend to sleep colder than men and I thought that was really interesting. And it, it so far, you know, that has run true. That it stayed exactly to what he said. So Mike sleeps without the bed, the blanket on, and I sleep mine on with mine on low um, because he just generates quite a lot of heat on his own. And yeah, so that's been fabulous. And there was something else I was going to say. The other, the other thing I did find that was a little not tricky, but it's just one of those things that I think when you're in a house, you take for granted. So the only time that I can honestly say that I get cold is either first thing in the morning when I get out to physically have to put the heating on. And when we, when it was minus five here up on the canal, you know, that that is really hard going and trying to get out of bed into a cold boat to, to put the heating on. But also when it did get to those real kind of minus temperatures I had to sleep with a buff on my head (laughs) because what happens is that the boat it starts off warm when you go to bed but even if you've got your electric blanket on your head is out out of all of that it's nowhere near the electric blanket it's not under the duvet it's on top of the pillow it's the thing that's going to get cold Um, and a couple of nights I woke up and I didn't know, I didn't understand why I woke up. And then I realised it was because my head was cold. And I thought, okay, well, when I'm camping, I put a buff on my head or I wear a hat. So I'll just treat it like I'm out bivying. So I'll stick a stick a buff on my head. And that that worked a treat. So it was it was no hard shit really to have to do that. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. And and I know it has been pretty cold, like you said, down to minus five. And we had a bit of snow as well, didn't we, across South Wales, just Ooh, yes. for good measure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yes. It's, not, it's not been the toughest of winters, but it's it certainly the temperatures have dropped. So, yeah, I, yeah. I emphasize with, in terms of trying to keep place warm. We're in a static caravan, um, which I didn't think we would be at this period in our lives but we've embraced right. it and we've had different challenges with keeping that warm but re- yes. more recently we've celebrated when we haven't had to have the gas fire on because the weather's got milder so it's like we're getting out of winter now which is really promising yes and and living in the way that we do you do tend to notice uh, you more you have those finely tuned observations of the weather and of your surroundings don't you it's, it's something about because I've lived in a caravan as well static caravan and I yeah I know that it's you appreciate those smaller things that yeah. are actually really the bigger things <laughs> oh that's absolutely so true so in terms of running costs for a narrowboat if I'm trying to think now if anybody's thinking of moving into narrowboat life canal boat living um do, do you see it I'm assuming it's a lot less expensive you know than yeah. running a house and all the associated bills and stuff have there been yes. any financial surprises or has it been a good cost saving exercise it's definitely been a good cost saving exercise yes I mean it's it's very much cheaper than living in a house and can be as comfortable um, I think the things to consider is make sure that if you're thinking of buying a narrowboat make sure that if you're doing it up that you insulate it so make it an all-season boat as opposed to just a summer boat which is what our boat is it really is just a summer boat because it's not insulated all the way through um i would suggest that you think about whether you want to be um a permanent a permanently moored boat or a cruiser so a cruiser we used to call ourselves pirates before we had a mooring <laughs> we were we were pirates and we just used to constantly cruise the canal and it basically means that every two weeks you have to move on you're nomadic you you you're more in one place stay there for a couple of weeks and then move on to the next place stay there for two weeks and then move on to the next place and that's great for some people but if you've got a car as well that you have to keep going back and moving the car to I mean that can be um, a little bit of a headache and if you've got work commitments that need to keep you in a certain place that's also not so good if you are able to work remotely then obviously that would work great um so mooring fees will depend on you know who you're paying <laughs> so is, is it a, a a marina is it a private um privately owned space on the canal uh what else do we pay for we pay a license fee to the canal and river trust and we put in diesel I haven't actually, I haven't worked all this out. I think Mike's worked all this out and I haven't taken on board the figures. But yeah, so we put in diesel probably once every six or eight weeks. We use more diesel throughout the winter because although we're not cruising around regularly, we are using diesel for the hot water and the heating. We move the boat over the canal to fill up with water once a week. That's just a regular routine now. Every Sunday, we obviously don't pay for water. Um, but you oh, and we do pay for our electricity. So we have an electric hookup and we have an, an arrangement with the owner of the land on which we're moored 
and where we're hooked up that we um, we work out how many units we've used. We've, we have like a little meter attached to our electric hookup that works out how many units we've used. Um, and so we pay that quarterly. But it is still cheaper. You know, we're not having to pay sewerage. We're not having to pay water charges um, or, you know, any of the other things that come with a house. Um, it really, yeah, it really has dramatically reduced our costs. Superb. Um, and what about the practicalities of, of things like you mentioned, bringing, you know, damp or wet washing into the 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 boat? Is that something you do off the boat or you've got a washing machine on the boat? No, you can put washing machines on boats. Um, so that is possible. Alice, which is the name of our boat, isn't big enough for that. Um, and if we upgrade her at some point, we will make sure that we have a washing machine on the boat. But no, currently we actually have um, a derelict chapel Um outside of Abergavenny and so we have put a washing machine into the chapel and that's where we do our washing and it's it is pretty hilarious because this is a a 150 year old chapel with floorboards that aren't built for a washing machine that will go (laughs) at 1400 rpm I actually the first time I switched it on um I Mike had built it up on top of a plinth um to keep it up off of the floor because sometimes the chapel floor floods it's right next to a river um so he put it up on top of a plinth and i watched this uh this washing machine basically wobble and walk its way to the point where it was going to fall off of the plinth and i was just screaming no (laughs) i made this leap over to the washing machine trying to hold it on with both hands and switch it off at the same time it's really difficult when it's going round so fast so yes he he came back he he built up blocks to hold it in place and now i only turn it on at a maximum of a thousand rpm (laughs) but we can still sit we sit on a chair um in front of the wood burner in the vestry and as it's going round and round the whole floor is bouncing up and down (laughs) i mean it's the weirdest sensation (laughs) yes it's it's, that's quite that is quite a thing (laughs) brilliant um just kind of dipping in a little bit I'm conscious of time as well and I think we could talk about your walks for for a whole different episode but you mentioned about um the the time you've got now you're wanting to use it towards writing and do I take it you want to you're going to be writing some more books is that kind of part of your future plans and, and possibly future income goals as well Yes, it is. I mean, there are other goals as well, which I can't share at the moment, unfortunately, Ooh. but that's, that's exciting. So watch this space. Um, but yes, I'm, I am 78 and a half thousand words into my first um, adventure memoir, which is about the Southwest Coast Path, because that was where my journey started. Um, but I, I have written a list of books that I want to write. And I think I'm up to about six at the moment. It, that's kind of that's what's building up. Some of them are fiction, some of them are nonfiction. And I did write a children's book. Oh, uh, let's see. How old is my daughter? My daughter's 26 this year. So 21 years ago. This is shocking. And <laughs> this, this is a real Zoe, give yourself a kick up the backside moment. Because 21 years ago, I wrote a children's story in rhyme 
which I was really proud of. And I wanted to get it published um, as a children's storybook. But I, I did not want to submit it to a publisher until I had a couple of illustrations to show them myself because I wanted to illustrate it. Um, and I never did. I never had the time. And it, that was the whole teaching thing. I never had the time to do those things. So and my mum still keeps asking me, have you done Laura's book yet? Have you done Laura's book yet? And are you going to do that after the Southwest Coast Pub? It's like, oh, you know. So, yes, that is also on the cards. So I would like to illustrate um, that book. And interestingly, that is a story about a group of adventurous toys, Chops Adventurous Toys. I don't know if it will remain with that name, but it was interesting that I'd not actually landed in the world of adventure at that point, but I was still talking about adventures. So, yeah, something in that maybe. <laughs> Brilliant. And, yeah, in terms of time, it's such a valuable resource, isn't it? And I, I can, you know, I can kind of relate to how time just passes you by, you know, not just in the pandemic, but life in general. And you think, mm. oh, yeah, I'll get around to that project. And, and it, it sounds like a real passion project as well. And I guess they're the kind of things that we all, we're constantly putting on the back burner. We'll get around to it. We'll do it another day because there are all these other things that we perceive are so important to do first. But now you've, it sounds like you've reached this point in your life and with a, a, a really supportive partner as well who, um, you know is kind of giving you or well you're doing it together in terms of the lifestyle yeah. that you've got now and yeah. having that time to sit down and be able to write and follow your passions and your dreams again it is and and yes I mean as far as Mike goes I mean he has been so supportive 100% of what I'm doing you know he still goes out to work and you know for a while there I was really feeling that guilt almost of well I'm just sitting here at home I'm on the boat and I'm and I'm just I'm sat in front of my laptop I'm just writing you know and it's that I had to retrain my brain to think I'm not just writing I am I am working I I might might not be getting paid for this yet but but it will pay dividends later on and I'm not professing by any means to think I'm going to you know be making six figures or anything like that it's, it's if I can just get my story out there, um, I will feel that sense of achievement. Okay, I really want to feel that. But I also would love to be able to earn some kind of income from it, even if it's only a small income. Because I think if I've got multiple sources of income coming in, which is what the plan is, those multiple sources of income make up to one pot that with our simple lifestyle that we have now should still make it sustainable and it's far more interesting and it's also I, I won't have all my eggs in one basket as well so if something fails not I don't like the word fail or oh, I hate the word fail. it's if something doesn't go the way I've planned it <laughs> <laughs> then I've got something else to fall back onto and and that's what is so exciting is that there are all these avenues to work on but I just have to or I have been working on looking at ways of focusing on each of them without stretching my time too much and so and that's where my teaching planning skills have come in I've gone back to my old long-term medium-term and short-term planning skills that I used in my life as a teacher and and I'm using that to really good effect and I'm building up routines um, that 
are good habits and yeah for the most part it's working my my morning routine my morning habits are brilliant my nighttime routines are not so good but I'm working <laughs> on that <laughs> so yes it's 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 interesting it's a definitely no two days are ever the same even with the routine there's always something going on here and I love absolutely love seeing the people out on the towpath so I've, I don't, even throughout lockdown, I don't feel lonely. I don't feel like I haven't had any social interaction because I can just wave at people or I jump out of the, you know, the front of the boat and I keep dog biscuits at the oh, end of the boat. And I, and I feed, I feed all the local dogs. So I, you know, <laughs> I have, I have this stream of dogs coming and looking at me with doe eyes, you know, saying, well, where's my biscuit then? <laughs> Yes. Great. Do you, do you feel like you've found a balance that that you've perhaps been craving for, um, you know, for some time now? Yes and no. I mean, yes, I have in that it's it's wonderful here. I'm balanced between the work life and nature um, in terms of balancing how much work I'm doing. No. And I think that's down to me that's that's me and my my own um I've, I've just got myself to answer to that you know and I I think I said to you before I just throw myself into things and I will just work 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 at them and yeah so I am still working a lot but it's it's now manageable and it's now what I want it to be and if I if I don't want to work of an evening for example I won't you know, and we have got certain nights of the week where I don't work and I, um, you know, we do other things. We have a, a Zoom night one night with a friend of mine where Mike and I play the ukulele and the guitar, me, very painfully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for a friend who lives on her own, we, we call it the twang along. We have a twang. It's, it's the twang along, not the sing along. And uh, yeah, we have a few drinks and we, we chat and we catch up and it's, it feels like a really social night, even though we're not actually with her, we're with her. Um, and so that's become quite a thing now. We've been doing that since beginning of January. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I will ever quite get that balance, if I'm honest, Ali, and that is just me but that's fine you know if I thought if I if I see it becoming an issue then you know I I can I can pull those strings to to, to change it but at the moment sure. it's yeah it, it's working towards other things more you know so exciting projects and um it's just the wheels are in motion and sometimes it's hard to stop those wheels <laughs> <laughs> And you know, you know so, as well as anybody about wheels. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I've been on wheels for a while, but yeah, do need to get back on yes. wheels at some point. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, just kind of um, wrapping up a little bit then, and, and thinking about the future, is canal boat life something that you see yourself doing for some time, or you know, are there other other plans, other life goals in in the mix? Um. Good question. It's it, the boat will be here as long as we need her to be here. Um, there are some other possibilities, um, but I would like to stay on the boat for as long as I possibly can. Um, a lot depends on mum as well. So we need to be here for as long as she needs us to be here too. Uh, 
but then you know as far as adventures go you know we there are some big adventures that we want to do which we are unable to do at the moment because of family commitments um but if we've got the boat and if we're living on the boat then those big adventures will be definitely more manageable let's say because yeah we haven't we haven't got to leave an empty house you know the house is looking after itself so if we're just leaving a boat and going off on a big adventure then that is certainly far more doable so yes there are there are some other things potentially in the pipeline um but yeah i can't i can't say too much i hope i hope i've given you a little sort of a little seed there a little something but yeah oh i love it i I love hearing about people's secret plans even though they can't talk about them but you still get excited for yes. them it's like hearing an author speaking about their book you know and they're they're wanting because they're, they're so excited about it because it's their baby and they want to tell you about xyz but they don't want to give away the plot or the um you know some of the big things that happen in it <laughs> it's kind of a bit <laughs> like that <laughs> well, what, what we can mention and just to wrap up is that obviously you've got an extensive history of long distance walking and as I said you know we, we could talk about that on a, a different episode perhaps um you've walked the southwest coast path solo uh you described that as a life-changing seven week solo walk you've walked you were the first woman to walk the wales coast path yeah. um after uh young ari kane actually ran it didn't she she um, did yes yeah crazy lady uh <laughs> office dyke the mendip way the camino de santiago the up north triple crown which there's a story behind that in terms of did you achieve the triple or not you'd have to listen <laughs> to another podcast episode um yeah. And, and yeah, the mappy days, the, oh, actually, one thing I did want to speak to you about, the bridge bagging. Yes. Are you in the yeah. middle of that at the moment? I Let's am go. in the middle of that. That's... Let's finish on that. Yes. So that that is massive and yet so simple. So we're on, obviously living on the canal, 35 mile canal. I wanted a challenge that would be lockdown proof that I could, because in Wales, we have to, we can't travel to go for our exercise at the moment. Uh, so I wanted to be able to leave home and go for a walk, but I still wanted it to be a challenge. So I devised this uh, challenge called the Mon and Breck Bridge Bagging Challenge, where I walk from home to a bridge and back again, and then from home to another bridge another day and back again. And again, a little bit like 100 Mappy Days, it's about deciding what walk I can manage in the time that I've got available. And so I created a spreadsheet where I've got all 134 bridges on the spreadsheet and I know exactly what distance it is from my home. And I've done 16 bridges now out of the 134. But what I found completely mind blowing was that over 35 miles of canal going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards to each bridge, is 3,412 flipping miles. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that. <laughs> and I told Mike and he went, you're not very good at maths. Are you sure you got that right? <laughs> I was like, yes, I have. I've, I've done it over and over again, the calculations, and I've put it into a spreadsheet. So yes, that is the plan. Um, I think it's going to take me a couple of years to do. I don't think I'm going to do it in one year because that's a lot of walking. There's quite a few 30 and 40 mile days in there. 
Um, so that's kind of getting into ultra <laughs> um, areas. And I don't, I'm, I'm not running anymore. I just found it too, you know, it was just causing me too many injuries. So I will be walking them all. Um, yes, all done on foot, not cycled. There we go. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And where can people follow your crazy bridge bagging and previous adventures, Zoe? Where can they find you online? So online, I'm I'm Head Right Out on all socials. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I'm headrightout.com uh, is my website. So I am a little bit behind on updating with my bridge bagging on Instagram, but I will do my best to, to get that up together. I've also got a group on Facebook called the Head Right Out Hub. So any and that's a women only group. So any ladies wanting to come along and join us there, it'd be lovely to say hello to you. Brilliant. We'll share those links, obviously, so everyone can uh, look you up and maybe ask some questions if they've got anything burning that we haven't covered in this Wonderful. episode. Zoe, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, I hope people have been inspired by your big decision to leave teaching and your other big decision about accommodation and living on a canal boat um, and also what you intend to do in the future and how, you know, you're juggling these multiple little passion projects and, and the mm -hmm. fact that you hope to turn them into, into an, an income as well. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ali. It's been an absolute honour to, to speak to you today and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that Zoe's story has inspired you to maybe change direction in life or live life a little more alternatively. What did you like most about Zoe's story? Even as a perfectionist, she managed to avoid the pressures of burnouts and she managed to find that alternative that kind of gave her buzz I think is the word that she described buzz in her life yeah I think um for me obviously to make a massive career change and to leave a profession like teaching I guess must have been a huge decision but her passion seemed to really shine through and it sounded like she always had this yearning to do something different but perhaps never the confidence or the kind of you know the, the opportunity um I also loved how she described her first long distance walk as life-changing and that seemed to sow a seed in the back of her mind as well in terms of you know kind of allowing herself in time and over the years to explore how she might be able to get a venture more into her lifestyle and again you know that came from being able to leave teaching as well so yeah another great episode high five if you enjoyed this episode, we'd be very grateful if you could share it with your friends and family so that we can reach more people with these amazing stories. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow our own adventures by connecting with our website and social media channels. The links are in the show notes. We wanted to say a quick thank you to the people who have rated or reviewed our podcast. We're really humbled by the really positive feedback. Yeah, it's been amazing. Thank you. So that's it for now. Look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Until then, take care and stay safe. Bye. Bye.